Welcome to the new TV Gold podcast from Media Week's Andrew Mercado and James Manning, a podcast for people who love great television. This week on TV Gold, we're going to look at Bay of Fires, the much-anticipated new drama from Marta Dusseldorf. She stars and she's a co-creator in this one. We'll also look at Full Circle, Superpower, the DC story, and The Batuta Advocate. Andrew Mercado, welcome back to TV Gold. How are you, James? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. An interesting week of our programs this week. Dramas from uh, local, been a lot of local drama lately. We've got an international drama, and that's where we'll start, I think, with Full Circle. I mean, we talked a little bit about this in the past. I'm really interested, of course, because of I'm a big fan of the work of Claire Danes. Yeah, you love Claire Danes, don't you? I'm not so big a fan of hers. And Full Circle, I think it's only about six episodes or something, six episodes, of course, directed by Steven Soderbergh. So straight away, you have to sit up and take notice if he's involved in something. But look, I don't reckon this is one of his better ones. That first episode, I found it really confusing. And I mean, this is kind of what he does. He does like to have, you know, different situations and watching these worlds collide. But, you know, the story of the 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 killing, the the execution, the gangs, the crime family, and then this other story with a rich couple with Claire Dane married to Timothy Oliphant, um, and then their kid, and then their kids online talking to another kid. Honestly, I I was not only confused, I was bored. I think if I wasn't so bored, I would have paid better attention to it. But I literally was struggling to stay awake through the whole thing. It didn't feel like anything fresh or new to me. It just felt like the same old sorts of shows we'd seen before and a whole bunch of genres colliding together. And my care factor was zero. What did you think, James? My care factor was a little bit higher than yours. I was, like you, very puzzled by what was happening in that first episode. It's um, very complicated and there's lots of characters who don't even intersect much in that first episode. There's lots of separate storylines. And look, I stayed on. I went to the second episode. I watched it. Yeah, yeah. It explained a little bit more, but I haven't got any further than that. Again, look, I say every week and... I've got to admit, I think I lie sometimes, don't I? When I when I say I I will watch all these, and just time doesn't allow it. So, yeah, you know, I I will come clean and say, look, all those shows, I've tried to stay with most of them, but there's certainly some that I haven't, and I have the feeling this one might be hard to keep going through to the end with. Um, I'll tell you what a shocker uh, this is for Dennis Quaid. I mean, he plays, uh, is he Claire Dane's father? He's a celebrity chef. And when when he first appears, I was looking at him going, God, who's that old man? And then I had a bit of, oh, my God, that isn't Dennis Quaid, is it? He looks terrible. (laughs) And uh, I had to look again. I was like, really was him? Wow. And he's got his hair in like a rat tail. Oh, God. Is this, is this the worst new TV trend of 2023, <laughs> the return of the rat tail from the idol to full circle? I'm over it. And Dennis Quaid, of all people, right, to showcase it. Yeah. But I didn't even realise he was a celebrity chef. 
I, I well, there was, was a book, that. wasn't there? there? There was a book he'd written that I saw, like, oh, well, he's clearly, there was some reference to that. I thought he was a casino-like entrepreneur <laughs> or, like, you know, running a casino. Yeah. So he, they get all this, there's a kidnap and they have to get a ransom and he organises all this cash from a casino that I presumed he was running. So I'm I'm not sure what's going on. Well, I must admit, I don't know that I actually got that he was a celebrity chef from the TV show. I think I got that as I started Googling, going, oh, my God, is that Dennis Quaid? And I Googled it, and, and I think I read there that he was a celebrity chef. Yeah, yeah. No, look, it is it is puzzling, but a few of these things start to make sense the the more you get into it. And, and I was, again, it was very well done. Um, yeah. Almost a bit too slick at times. Um, and the characters, yeah, you don't really get any, um, you don't get attached to any of the characters. And I, you're big on that too. Look, I, you always say, look, I didn't like any of these people. And I think this is one show in particular you can say, yeah, look, these were just, these are just part, there were that many passing characters. You didn't really yeah. buy into any of their stories. Yeah, who are you meant to root for? There's got to be at least one person that you go, I'm really interested in you. I care about you, even if they're a bad person or an immoral person. There has to be some care factor there. And and I just wasn't feeling it with full circle, which um, it's. I wonder, are binge dropping all of the episodes or is this a week by week thing? Maybe they've dropped two to start with because I know it's screening on Foxtel as well on a week by week basis in a TV slot somewhere. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's, I think, six episodes dropping over three weeks, two at a time. Right, two at a time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, so if there was a character that I engaged with, it's probably the two two young sort of immigrants from, I think they're from Guyana, who arrived in New York, um, hopeful of being able to stay there. And they, how they get, they sort of get, caught up in this sort of crime world and they have to hand over their passports and you know it's it's quite sad if there is a story i i sort of felt closest to to their story but it the the show sort of weaves in and out of um how they're in sort of gay engaging with other characters that come up I think Full Circle is a TV show made for people that sort of aren't really into TV. <laughs> I think, you know, the the people who love Steven Soderbergh's films and love that sort of dense storytelling, I think they'll get into this and find lots of good things about it. But I think that, you know, some of us that prefer our TV to be a little bit more, I don't know, more obvious or a little bit more you know, catchy to begin with, you know, it was yeah. too, uh, it was too labyrinth for me. I just went, I, I, I can't follow this and I'm not interested. Yeah. The, and I, I would say maybe it's a TV series that would make a good film, perhaps, you know, if um, you, you, you condensed it, I don't know, juggled the puzzle pieces a little bit more to make a little bit more sense. Well, you know, it had its uh, world premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival, so that tells you something, doesn't it? I mean, Steven Soderbergh does come with those cinema credentials, so this will be looked at as a miniseries by a guy who's done great cinema rather than just another TV series that it's been made for HBO Max, the streaming service in the US. You mentioned Steven Soderbergh 
movie fans. I mean, he's got such a diverse output, though. I yeah. Just are there really people that could follow all this sort of stuff from, you know, from, from like Sex Lies and Videotape through <laughs> yeah. to the Ocean's Eleven series to, to, to Magic Mike, you know? Magic just, Mike, yeah. It's just a real range, isn't there? Yeah, he does. He does have very, very broad tastes, and some of his films have been great. And the franchises he's made for Cinema Four, Magic Mike and Ocean's Eleven, are, are fantastic. And those films were such fun. Um, full Circle is not really fun, I guess. It, it, it's so very, very serious. And uh, and sometimes things, I think, shows like this can take themselves a little bit too seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, look, that's um, full circle. It's a half thumbs up from me, and it's a pretty much a resounding no from Andrew. That's on Binge and Foxtel, six episodes for you to consume. Let's go to Superpowered, the DC story. This is something I haven't caught up with yet, but I think you've seen it. Yeah, so this is a new three-part documentary that's also been made for Max in the US that's screening here on Binge and Foxtel. It's called Superpowered, the DC Story. And I watched the first episode last night. It's narrated by Rosario Dawson. And, you know, wow, that that uh, origin story of how DC Comics came into effect. I mean, I kind of vaguely knew some of it, um, but I really didn't realise a lot of it. I was kind of really shocked to learn that, you know, a lot of the the artists and the creators of iconic comic strips like Wonder Woman and, and Batman and Superman, because they did have those three big superheroes in comic form. It's kind of shocked to know that they were just paid like a weekly wage. You know, they never got any royalties. That was back in the days where you just kind of did this artwork and, uh, you know, they kind of created this world and uh, the corporate company sort of took all the profits. Um, so, look, it was interesting, but I tell you what, oh, wow, I had a huge issue with something in it, which I will write about at length in my Media Week column this week. When they get to the Batman story and they get to the Batman TV series in 1966, they're really dismissive of it. And they have this guy from DC who goes, oh, I was a kid. I was 12 when it started and I couldn't wait for it to start. And then it, it, it screened and I thought, oh, my God, they're making fun of the comic strip. My life mission is going to be to restore Batman to who he really is. And they just really uh, go hard on the Batman TV series for being too campy and being too fun and sending up the comic strip. But at no point in this documentary about DC Comics, do they actually say that, as you and I know, James, Batman was a massive, massive TV hit. And that TV show led to a whole generation of kids rediscovering comic books and re-engaging. And I wouldn't have gone seen that 1989 Batman movie that Michael Keaton was in if I hadn't been a fan of the, the TV show. So I thought that they do that uh, that for that TV series of Batman a real disservice. Uh, but look, it's it's still a great show with lots of great history. Uh, I'm into episode two. Uh, I, I sort of got halfway through it and it got late and I went to bed. Uh, I'm not quite sure whether I'll stick with it the whole time, but I think I'd need to because it's a history that I'm interested in and I'm particularly interested to look at that kind of, you know, for war that's been fought between Marvel and DC Comics, which does start to uh, come up at the end of episode one, in it. 
Well, that's good. I was going to ask you about the, is there much of a mention of uh, Marvel? Because, look, to be honest, before today, if you'd asked me, oh, is Wonder Woman Marvel or DC? I would have gone, well, I'm not sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never really paid that much attention and had the time to delve into either. So they call it a universe, don't they? With the, Yeah, yeah. Where, where all these characters live. And I guess... Um, in recent years, Marvel seems to have certainly had the edge. W- would that be correct? Well, they've certainly had the edge in terms of movies. Um, but I think it's really interesting in this doco, they talk about the fact that in the 1960s, uh, when Marvel started to creep up on DC, I mean, they were copying what DC had done, but Marvel sort of humanized their superheroes and were more in touch with, uh, what was going on in America at the time. Whereas DC comics in the 60s were really starting to get a little bit stayed and they were very much about, oh, we're the good guys and we're perfect. Perfect. And I mean, that's what the Batman TV series was sending up. That's why it was so super successful. They kept it really straight, but they kept Batman this very kind of, you know, bland authoritarian that said, you know, hey, kids, you've got to look left and right before you cross the road. That was part of the humor of it. And that was one of the reasons why DC Comics was slipping behind Marvel. And certainly if you look at cinema box office today, DC still has a long way to go to catch up to the success of Marvel. You know, there's been some terrific movies. I thought that the Wonder Woman movie was just fantastic. But, you know, they've been less successful at creating their universe than Marvel has, even though they've got what I would probably say are the three most iconic characters, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. And yet somehow they've sort of stuffed it up. And you know what? Based on this documentary that I've seen and based on what they actually say about what the company was, uh, the troubles it was facing, in the 60s, it's because DC takes themselves too seriously and Marvel are more prepared to let their superheroes have human foibles and maybe take the piss a bit. Yeah, because they've got one of their other characters at um, DC is The Flash. I think there was a recent movie that's generally thought to have underperformed at the box office. Yeah. Was, wasn't wasn't that great. But uh, tell me, the um, of their characters, the... The one they haven't really exploited much lately is Superman, I guess. I mean, it was huge. Was it back in the 80s, all those Superman movies? When was it? Well, no, if you think of that Christopher Reeve movie, that was uh, back in the late 70s, 1978. Uh, And then they filmed Superman and Superman 2 together at the same time, and Superman 2 followed a few years later. And really, that was a massive, massive blockbuster cinema movie and, and one of the first, you know, the whole key to that film and i remember that as a kid going to see it all of the marketing around that film was you will believe a man can fly um and that was the big thing with that film but yeah they they uh they 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 didn't keep it going i mean mm. even that superman franchise uh with christopher reeve superman 1 and 2 were fantastic and then superman 3 and superman 4 don't even talk about it you know so yeah it really took uh the Tim Burton look at making Batman a bit darker to kind of rev up and show that there was uh, there there was money to be made there if the blockbuster got the tone right. But certainly Marvel have been killing it uh, since then. And I guess there was a few Superman sort of TV series spin-offs that maybe didn't do a lot to enhance the sort of I don't know the um, 
the attractiveness of the of the brand, I guess. Yeah, I, th- I think that they've kind of, I think DC have kind of stuffed it up a little bit by putting, you know, there was that movie with Batman and Superman who were fighting each other. And at the end of it, Batman won. And you're going, hello, Superman's <laughs> like this guy from outer space that can fly. How did he not win that battle? You know, I just think that some of the decisions they've made haven't been great. Um, but yeah, look, in terms of, if you're interested in any of this, TV, movies, comic books, all three of them are kind of coming together. And, I mean, we're about to go through uh, uh, another version of this with the Barbie movie hitting cinemas where we've now got a toy company, as was talked about at length this week on Gruen, uh, which you can watch back on iView, how interesting it is now that, you know, instead of movies like Batman and Superman driving merchandise and driving the sale of toys, now we've got a toy company, Mattel, looking to turn a lot of their popular toys into movies, starting with uh, this Margot Robbie production of Barbie, which I've got to admit really has grabbed my attention. Even I think, even I think I'm going to go see Barbie in cinemas. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that, Gruen. Yeah, it was a good episode, and their their fascination with um, all things Barbie and Mattel. Okay, that's um, super powered. The DC story, and that's on Binge and Foxtel. Yes, yes, correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, The Batuta Advocate is a series that's popped up on Paramount Plus, uh, made by quite prolific, the people at the Batuta Advocate. They've got Australia's, what do they call it, well-known newspaper. Uh, (laughs) They've been into podcasts. Um, Now they've got this series on Paramount Plus made in conjunction with Warner Brothers Australia. So they've gone out and got some um, pretty heavy-hitting partners. Yeah, look, I've always been vaguely aware of Batuta Advocate, and this series has been streaming on Paramount Plus for a few weeks now. It was on my list of things to do, um, and by the time I got to it, there were several episodes to choose from, so I watched one, and then my cousin, by chance, happened to mention, oh, God, I saw this fantastic thing, and so then I started watching them all, and, you know, I must admit, I've really, really gotten into it. I think that it's a very, very interesting thing that they're doing. I mean, they are known for their satire, and yet they're looking at, you know, infamous infamous moments in Australian history through a satirical eye and often taking the piss. But, you know, a lot of what they're saying is is serious and everything they're saying actually happened. I just think they have a great eye for uh, pointing out the 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 madness and, and the craziness of some of this stuff. But, wow, I have just been loving the episodes that I've seen so far. I watched the one on uh, Hillsong. I've watched the one on um, there's four so far I'm, I'm halfway through the fine cotton one uh fantastic which ones have you watched james i've seen the i've only seen one so far i watched the um super league war story oh, was, that's fantastic that one yeah which is of course is um rupert murdoch versus kerry packer if you like um rupert murdoch funded um a startup football code the super league take on Kerry Packer, who was supporting the established um, NRL, if you like, and um, and the sub- subsequent sort of court battles, the massive amounts of money that were involved. Um, it's just fascinating. Because it's made by Paramount Plus, which owns Network 10, yep. you get a lot of 10 personalities as some of the talking heads through the series, which is fine. 
but they also go out and there's some other people like they spoke to some of the um the executives from both Super League and the NRL during this yeah. episode and that was great and Steve Mascord one of the journalists who covered the Super League war in great detail he also cropped up so it was great hearing from him yeah and it's just a really good episode I also think it's really, really, uh, it's, it's really great that it's run by those two guys. You know, that, I mean, it's the creators of the Batuta Advocate. Um, they kind of created these characters called Clancy Overall and Errol Parker. And they sit there with their big kind of, you know, country hats and, uh, kind of, you know, there's a bit of a Roy and a HG vibe around them, but I think they're very funny and I, th- I think they're very television friendly. I'm kind of almost becoming a bit obsessed with them. Uh, I, I kind of love it when it goes back to them. Yes, there's lots of great talking heads and they also do animation uh, to recreate some of the situations there. Uh, but when it goes back to Clancy and Errol sitting at their desk and, you know, just pulling their faces and asking their funny questions. I think they're they're really, really uh, charming and, and have a lot of charisma in terms of this TV format. And it's good to see a streaming service continuing to, to spend money on Australian productions. Look, yep. and I'll be the first to admit some more successful than others. Yeah. But, but so far that list for Paramount Plus includes Last King of the Cross, Five Bedrooms, uh, The Bridge Australia, The Secret She Keeps, two seasons, I think, six festivals, more than this, Undressed, Couples Therapy Australia. Uh, there's a few still to come, like I think uh, NCIS Sydney, which has um, just gone into production. So they're, they're, you know, putting up some cash and um, employing Australian storytellers, which is good. Yeah, and you know what? The majority of those shows have been really, really good. I particularly love Five Bedrooms. Um, Five Bedrooms and Secret She Keeps were both shows that were starting on Channel 10 uh, that then moved across as exclusive for, for Paramount Plus, but eventually they screen on Channel 10. But I'll tell you something really interesting that I've discovered, James, with Paramount Plus, and that is, you know, I watched North Shore and I loved North Shore, but I kind of fell behind and I was doing that deliberately because I wanted to binge the last four episodes all together. And I was watching it on 10 play with all of those ad breaks. And you know, the, the, the free to air network catch up services are still really, really bad. The ad breaks are, are really repetitive. Sometimes they screen the ad, the same ad twice in a row. Um, and it drives you insane. And then I discovered that I could have watched North Shore ad-free on Paramount Plus. And that's where I'm watching Riptide, um, which is the latest series dropping week by week. It's like, and and they're not making a big deal of it on Paramount Plus. I don't know whether they're trying to direct traffic to 10 play, but yeah, those Aussie dramas that screen on 10 first, you can watch them on Paramount Plus ad-free and uh, that's certainly a more preferable experience. Well, that's a great tip. Thanks for the heads up because I too have been uh, grappling with that. Uh, you still got to get used to it. It feels like a streaming service, but there's lots of ads and it's just... Mm. I, I, I don't mind the ads, James. I actually don't. You know, I understand that ads okay. need to be there in fast TV and all of these things. What I just wish, though, was the ad breaks weren't as insulting as they are. To be screening the same ad mm. repetitively over and over and over again within the same hour to the point that you want to scream, you know, that's where I just think they just need to mix it up. Clearly, they're not getting enough advertisers 
to do it. But you know what? If you don't have um, enough advertisers for those breaks, screen less ads until you get more ads. You know, it, don't screen the same ad um, 10 times within a one-hour show. It's, it's really annoying. Okay, so that's the Batuta Advocate on Paramount Plus. And one other thing quickly about Paramount Plus, I like the way they curate uh, collections of of movies and TV shows. At the moment, they've got up Mission Impossible. They've got the series of films there because the new one, of course, is coming into cinemas. Yeah. So Paramount Plus have got all the back catalogue sitting there that you can get into. And one would assume that this new movie will eventually pop up on that platform too, which is um, perhaps another good reason for subscribing. Yeah. Let's go to the the, the show we've both been really pretty um, keen, keen about, looking forward to Bay of Fires on ABC and iView, launches on um, Sunday just after we, we record this episode. And look, I'd Got a shout out to Marta Dusseldorp, who was good enough to take part in a special episode of TV Gold, which has uh, been published. It's live now, where she talks about the series. And Andrew McCarter, I've got to say, hearing her discuss the program, how why they created it and what they wanted to do, really made me enjoy the series a whole lot more than if I hadn't heard that chat. Yeah, yeah. I think this is a really interesting series. I think it's really interesting that we're seeing Marta Dusseldorp moving behind the scenes and becoming a co-creator. I thought it was really interesting. Um, you know, she, it was so revealing that podcast, James, but one of the fascinating things for me was that because she was co-creating the show with Andrew Knight, who had created sea change and let's face it you know we, we we do a lot of small town dramas here in australia that during lockdown marta actually watched all of sea change and because it was fresh in her mind then if andrew knight suggested something she'd say mm, no you actually did that in sea change and he'd say did i you know because it was 20 years ago um <laughs> that was just fascinating because i think what's really interesting for me with bay of fires and i and i said this on the podcast that you know, it's we can't fall into the trap of just making shows about quirky little towns with murders going on in them. But I think what's really interesting about Bay of Fires is that they try really, really hard to subvert that and and do things that other shows haven't done before. The comedy is quite dark. Uh, the characters in it, I think there's a real dark underbelly there, more so than some of the other shows we've seen and you know we, we we've also talked about the tassie noir here the fact that we're making a lot of these dramas set in tasmania um and we've just had deadlock finish on prime and a lot of people really loved that and uh you know i certainly uh watched it to the end and thought they did a great job there but but they're very very different shows you know deadlock is in is in its own uh genre and bay of fires comes out and and is something almost very different from everything else, but still um, very, very watchable. Yeah, what I liked too was the way um, Marta Dusseldorp talked about how it mirrors her real-life move. She she talks about she was a city chick who went from Sydney, initially reluctant to relocate down to Tasmania, and then the, the change that she went through when she got there. And you see this, I mean, look, very. it's certainly not autobiographical because it's, it's really out there, this TV series, but it, really it, does, is. 
it does mirror the facts of her story. She, her character in um, Bay of Fires finds herself in Tasmania. She's got two kids. Marta's got two kids. Um, and how she starts the relationship she has initially with the locals. She talks about that, how she changed in real life too. When she first got there, she was trying to hurry everything up, telling people, look, I, I haven't got time to chat to you at length about, you know, what you're up to, but she says how she she mellowed and she got into the groove of um, living in Tasmania. And you can see that happening with this character. That that first episode, look, there's a lot happens, right? It's, yeah. Um, it's very plot heavy and you can, it, it is confusing. And you wonder, wow, what, what, lots of things happen. There's a, the series starts with a, a flashback to sort of public servants in Canberra plotting yeah. to, do something in Tasmania, then it cuts back to the current day, and you go, oh, well, wonder what's going to happen to that. So presumably that happens, we find out later in the series. Um, Marta, look, is is portrayed as a successful businesswoman who suddenly finds herself um, being tracked down by a couple of sort of hitmen, yeah. if you like, and um, she calls on the the government sort of helped relocate her, almost like witness protection, if you like. In a way, yeah. Yeah, and they send her to Tasmania. And you're going on when you don't find out why, and there's there's lots of questions you sort of have as a viewer at the end of that first episode. And indeed, Marta talks about the eight episodes were filmed in two blocks of four. Uh, Natalie Bailey, I think, directed the first four. Wayne Blair did the second half of the series. And she talked about the different feel for both halves. So I finished the first four, and you can notice different things happening to her character, and I'm looking forward to how that might develop. Yeah, I've watched the first three, and, I mean, what a cast this is, as well as Marta Dusseldorf. Yeah. You've got Kerry Fox, Yale Stone, the final performance for Tony Barry, Heather Mitchell, Reese Muldoon, Bob Franklin, and then, of course, one of your favourites, James, from one of your favourite shows, Billions, Toby Leonard Moore. How yeah. great to see an Aussie actor making an Aussie TV series when, you know, his, his biggest role is, is in that American show. And he really has a significant part, doesn't he, in this um, in Bay of Fires? He and and Marta, I, I, I don't know what happens after the first, but they sort of she finds it hard to interact with the locals, and the one person she has some sort of engagement with is um is Toby Leonard Moore's character of Jeremiah, who's yeah. like a tow truck driver and a bit of a, a jack of all trades. I think he comes to fix the floor in this house. Army buys. Uh, did you mention Stephen Curry? No, I, I was going to say we, we. There's still there's still a few that we haven't mentioned. There's yeah. also Matt Nabel, fantastic yeah. as a sort of weird religious Amish guy. Pamela Rabe and Ros Hammond as a couple, um, and then Stephen Curry. Wow, what a performance from Stephen Curry as the dodgy real estate agent here. Wow. Yeah, both Matt Nable and Stephen Curry have been have had a lot of good roles recently, haven't they? They've cropped yeah. up in a in a lot of series. Um, not always central, but very critical parts they play in sort of helping the story progress and keeping it interesting and quirky. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, look, it's it's really great. It's got a fantastic cast. I've watched the first three. I'm absolutely on board for it. I loved it. Um, I got a bit of a Twin Peaks vibe from it with yeah. some of the what the hell is going on in this town. But I don't mean that in a kind of supernatural way or dropping into some of those other Tasmanian shows like The Gloaming and, and all of those. It, it, it's not that type of vibe. It's the kind of the the menace uh with some of those characters some of whom present as quite nice to begin with and then you go oh my god you are someone to be really wary of you know that's that kind of creeping menace that's there at it in it yeah if i had a criticism of it i'd wonder if they might have tried to do almost too much um in our interview marta dusseldorp talks about co-creator Andrew Knight and it's a fascinating story I won't go into it here but she explains it on the podcast how they got together initially but um she talks about how he was more interested in interesting characters than plot and to me at times it seems like there's there may be cramming in too much like Matt Nable's whole thing about it's some weird cult or something and that's that's it's never explained exactly in the initial four episodes what's going on there so i don't know if that'll sort of make a bit more sense going on but i i just felt a bit i don't know a bit unnecessary at times some of that stuff. yeah it is very busy i mean this isn't a show that starts slowly this is a show that starts with a real bang yeah. Yeah. um and uh yeah, but look, 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 I'm there for it. I'm absolutely uh, loving it. I can't wait to see where it goes. Uh, she told us that episode five is when things really, really change, uh, that you find out a lot of stuff there to get you through to the end. Yeah, I, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm taking a I'm taking a clue from some of the imaging I've seen where where Marta looks like one of the locals in some of the photographs. So I'm just wondering she gets, you know, how integrated she gets into that local community and, and really becomes one of them. I think I'm I'm sort of looking forward to to that if it happens. If not, well, whatever she gets up to anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's Bay of Fires. It's going to be on ABC. You can also watch it, of course, on iView. Shows of the week time, Andrew. I've got a feeling there might be just a show of the week. Well, yeah, I mean, the show of the week has got to be Bay of Fires, but I also want to say really close runner-up is the Batuta Advocate. Two very, very different Australian shows here, but both absolutely worth your time and effort to track down and watch. So, so interesting, uh, and, yeah, both of them will be on my list of best shows of the year. Okay, and um, yep, I'm going for Bay of Fires too. Absolutely, it's um, brilliant, and I'm looking, I'm looking forward to um, finishing off the, the remaining four episodes. A couple of things before we go this week, Andrew. Now you've been reading Nick McKenzie's book, I believe. Yes, I have. I've been reading. This is the book about uh, the Ben Robert Smith case, which Nick McKenzie were, uh, wrote for The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald and uh, 60 Minutes. Uh, and the book is called Crossing the Line. And I wanted to bring it up today because, I mean, there's a real possibility that this book might get pulled from the shelves because it's just been announced that Ben Robert Smith is launching an appeal uh, against the defamation suit that he called and then 
been lost. Um, what, what's really interesting, I think, from an, a media point of view, James, is throughout all of this story, some of this has been serialised uh, in the newspapers and a lot of it has been news stories, but there's been a chapter of the Ben Robert Smith story that has always particularly interested me, which was when he was made uh, general manager of Seven Queensland and was based out of BTQ7 um, up at Mount Cuthra in Brisbane. You know, that's, you know, as a Brisbane boy, you know, I rode my bike up Mount Cuthra once to go to a telethon at, at, at Channel 7. And I was always fascinated by it because I think it's really, I think there's a real lesson to learn here in the media that we would put a soldier into a media role who's had no media experience and knows nothing about TV, um, but he was put into that role. And, and I found the chapter about some of the things he did at Seven when he was there so fascinating. And really, for me, I'd, I'd never read any of that stuff. Uh, and, yeah, I found it really interesting. And, of course, it uh, it lent very heavily into uh, – it mirrored a lot of the other allegations that uh, are against him, whether he was in uh, – war or whether he was in the boardroom, he behaved a certain way, not so great. Um, and yeah, you know, I thought it was really interesting to finally read about uh, what staff at Seven thought about him when he was made their boss. Interesting that uh, Nick's, Nick McKenzie's colleague on that story, uh, Chris Masters, has also just published a book too called Flawed Hero. So they've both got books out. Wow. Um, about the using some of the um, information they gathered in the years of of covering this story. I can't put it down, James. I, I literally spent the day it arrived. I had things to do, and I just sat here and I just read it and read it and read it. It's 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 like a real thriller, isn't it? The way that he he tells this story about you know the reporter and uh, tracking down the sources, and it's so so uh, so well written. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing from me before we go this week are the the Emmy Awards. Uh, the nominations came out overnight, and I was um very pleased to see uh, Sharon Horgan for um, Bad Sisters got a nod. So one of our favourite shows of the last twelve months. It's funny. I noticed that this morning and thought of you because that is a show that I completely have forgotten about uh, and I need to put it on a list to go back to because, uh, yeah, I think I only watched one episode and it's it's something that got lost uh, in the so many shows. I actually do have a list here where I write things down and go, I've got to go back to that and I've got that stuck to my notice board here now because otherwise you never go back to it. So as soon as I hang up from this podcast, I'm walking over there and writing Bad Sisters on it. <laughs> There's um, Kerry Russell also copped one for uh, The Diplomat, which I think surprised some people. There wasn't much expectation that she might get that, but a very popular series that did well recently for Netflix. Okay, look, we'll wind up that. Um, you can get in touch with us, of course. You can send an email to comments at tvgold.au. We'd love to hear from you about anything that's on your mind. 
slip-ups we might have made or things you think we should discuss or maybe TV programs you've enjoyed that we've managed to overlook. Andrew, look, thank you for this. We'll look out for your column on Friday. You've already given us a bit of a teaser about what you'll be up to at mediaweek.com.au, also in the Media Week Morning Report. And remember, we've got um, a couple of bonus episodes up. Jason Herbison, we talked to recently about his um, series Riptide. And then this week, we'd speak to Marta Dusseldorp about uh, Bay of Fires. Yeah, both cracking podcasts. Check them out. Yep, and cracking series. Okay, Andrew, we'll speak to you next week. Thanks, James. Have a great week.